Hi everyone, I'm Eric McCusker, writer of No One Comes Close, and you're listening to the He's the Voice podcast. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And the winner is... And Mr. John Farnham. John Farnham. John Farnham. John Farnham. So John Farnham for History and Jazz. But I, most of all, would like to thank my manager and very close friend, Glenn Wheatley. He put his money where my mouth is, and I thank him very much for that. Thanks, Glenn. Thank you very much indeed. Farnham fans, you're listening to He's the Voice, the one and only podcast devoted to the remarkable career achievements of Australian national treasure, John Farnham. My name's Adam Stolfo, and I'm joined here as usual by my partner in crime, the one and only Nigel Langis is with us. How you doing, Nigel? Hey, Adam. How you going? I'm always good, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing good today. Ready to talk some Farnham? Yeah. Hey, why not? Why not? Sounds good to me. That's we're it. in the olden days of the vinyl, we're flipping it over, aren't we? Well, that's it, mate. Today we're looking at track six, No One Comes Close. Now, I'm going to just say right off the bat here, Nige, that uh, this is probably one of my favourite tracks from the album. I think we've spoken already about what my personal favourites are, but this one is definitely up there. There's something about this song. Um as a romantic blue-eyed soul kind of song. Um, yeah, I have to say um, the thing that I find really appealing about this song is very evident in the Whispering Jack live performance of the song. Yes. And that is just how soul is a really good way to describe oh, how yeah. John performs it. Yeah. And if anything else, it's the live version that I absolutely love the most from that 1987 concert. And this track on the album it makes me think about that live performance and, and it just heightens it for me. But yeah, it's a totally enjoyable song. And I think it's an interesting choice, but a really good choice when with the vinyl record, those track positions really matter, you know, from oh, track yeah. one on side one, what is it that introduces you? And we spoke about that in the pressure down episode, the mm-hmm. fact that this is the very first thing you hear that is Whispering Jack, and um, then you progress. Each song, they have their place, and and the, it's there to serve a purpose. Um, so flipping a vinyl record over onto side two and starting anew, that song is crucial. To capture that listening audience, whether it's one person or 100 people, and to bring them back in and so that they're not flipping the record off and changing to a different record. Absolutely. You lose that with a CD and certainly the streaming that is around today. You lose that necessity or the understanding of that track order. But uh, I think it's a great choice for the kicking off of side two, whether it's cassette or vinyl. 
Nige, the musician yes. credits for No One Comes Close. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Whispering Jack, vocals, backing vocals, and mm-hmm. percussion. That's what I want to ask you about here, Nige. Percussion, John Farnham, like, is in, what's he doing? <laughs> what, what percussion do you hear? Like, I don't know. I, I'd have to have another listen to the song me again. Me too. It's like, it's like, it's very difficult with the electronic nature of Whispering Jack, I've got to say, Nige. It's, um, mm-hmm. You don't know if it, like, it's, you're actually hearing any percussion or if it's just a keyboard, you know? No. It's very hard to tell. And then we've got, uh, of course, the man himself, David Hirschfelder for Keyboards and Fairlight. Oh, I love that song. Um just that riff i think like we we pretty much uh there was a lot of things off the mondo rock uh original version that we we used uh and then we just gave it that sort of whispering jack twang pseudo guitar with done on keyboards like lots of glassy sounds and yeah i i just thought wow like that was a song that i was looking forward to polishing up but it actually turned out a lot more exciting than I even would have imagined from already a very promising demo. Uh, well, the demo wasn't a demo. I think it was from a Mondo Rock album. I can't remember. But um, anyway, yeah, that was that was one of the surprises tracks for me. Yeah. Gar said on the guitars. The genius of Eric McCusker, huh? Yeah. You know, what a beautiful tune that is. It's amazing. But um... What's the sound of the guitar and the solo in that one as well, Brett? It's uh, you've, it's got a slightly different sort of sound to it. It's, uh, I don't know what you what you would call it uh, in the solo. Do you know the like you know yeah. the, the guitar sounds a bit it, different? It um, might have been when we were experimenting with a technique where you would just take like a like a Fender Strat, like these guys, and uh, that's actually the same guitar I played on the live Whispering Jack concert. You know, ah. so. Oh, it is yeah, too. Right. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It has a very distinct and, uh, look. Yeah beat up that's it. <laughs> it was in pretty good yeah. nick when i got it but it's not now yeah. but um yeah we, we were experimenting with a technique where, which was common back then in the 80s of uh, running the guitar straight into the console into the recording console mm-hmm. and you get a very unique sort of a sound it's it's absolutely pristine and i decided to structure that solo a little bit and uh it rather than just improvise it and um yeah i don't know i, I like it it's a really pretty sort of a solo so fantastic song it really is an amazing tune yeah eric's just a bloody yeah. genius not only as a, a songwriter but you know I've, I've stalked him all through his years in mondo <laughs> rock trying to steal all his guitarisms he's just a genius yeah brett solo yeah it's absolutely fantastic in this song but um always a highlight yeah for sure for sure and what i noticed as well was when they were performing at the brisbane expo in 88 and that concert was telecast in australia the solo that he performs is quite different from Definitely. the one he does in the whispering yeah. jack concert yeah it, the guitar uh, has a different uh, amplified sound in that version. yeah and again it just helps diversify what it is that you're listening to as um an audience member that's great gossip on the guitar And the final credit, Nige, Fairlight and Drum Programs, Jack, Ross and Dave. Ah, oh, there we go. Again. We've, we've t- <laughs> I was going to say, we've talked about them in the past. So, Nige, the writer of the song 
is a Mr. Eric McCusker. Mm-hmm. So what do we know about this gentleman? Well, Eric is a well-established Australian writer. Um, mm-hmm. He was in a band in the 70s called the Captain Matchbox Whoopi Band. From there, um, Eric then went on to Mondo Rock. So he joined Mondo Rock in 1980 and was with Mondo Rock until 1991. Yeah. Mondo Rock has got a lot to credit um, Eric McCusker for because he wrote some of their most well-known hits. hits. He wrote um, State of the Heart off of the Chemistry album in 1981. He also wrote Summer of 81 and the very well-known Cool World. So it's fair to say that he established himself quite well with the Chemistry album, but Eric wrote what may well be their single most identifiable song, um, and Mondo Rock recorded it in 1984, and that's Come Said the Boy. Yeah, which John obviously did many, many years later in 2005 for his uh, Aussie covers album, I remember when I was young. Yeah, the great Australian songbook. Come set the ball. Let's go down to the sand. Let's do what we wanna do. Let me be a man for you. Yeah, so Eric's actually written not only um, big hits for Mondo Rock, but if you look back at songs that were successful in the 80s for Australian music, you will see Eric's name. Often, yeah. yeah. Interesting enough, in more recent times, uh, Eric has been a member of a band called The Dream Room, and one of the members of The Dream Room is also uh, Nicky Nichols. Oh, yes, Nicky. Yeah, right. Yeah. And um, we had a fantastic opportunity at being able to speak to Eric. So um, without going any further, why don't we actually listen to that interview? Let's do it. Eric, can you talk to us about um, what you recall of your thoughts around Johnny Farnham in the Sadie One and Raindrops days? It's funny because Sadie was, I mean, that was almost like a novelty record, but I kind of liked novelty records. And I used to, a lot of records I did buy were sort of novelty records. And Sadie was a bit like that. Um one is a strange song. I mean, Raindrops Keeps Falling on Your Head is, is, is a good sort of straight-ahead song, and I thought the Johnny Farnham version was, was a very classy-sounding record. It, was like, it, was, it seemed like around that time that Melbourne started making some really, really beautiful-sounding records. You know, I Ain't Mama's Little Girl No More, and um, it was fantastic. It was Linda George, I think. Um, and uh, oh, Eagle Rock, of course, you know, incredible-sounding records. That was maybe a little bit later, but... I can't remember when did raindrops come out. Probably sixty-nine, I think it was. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't actually love that song. I mean, I love Burt Backrack and Hal David. And I've got to know Hal David reasonably well, uh, in later years. Uh, through kind of APRA and ASCAP. He was the chairman of ASCAP and I was on the board of APRA and uh, met a few times. Mm-hmm. Ended up sitting next to him at dinner on about five or six occasions and he loved a joke and he would love talking about all the stuff and it was, you know, truly you know, very, very intelligent guy. Now, the next bunch of questions we have here, Erica, in relation to your song, No One Comes Close, okay? Yeah. So do you by any chance still have any of the original drafts of your work as No One Comes Closer to progressed from ideas into a song? I, I, I probably do because I have all my lyric books still. I've, I've never thrown any of them away and I have been able to 
find um, Come Said the Boy and State of the Heart and those in, in my lyric books. I actually haven't looked for the lyric that no one comes close, so I'll have a look for it. It was sort of written to be uh, as a sort of a, a contender f- to be on the album. It was a Mondo Rock album that ended up being called uh, Boom Baby Boom, which came out in 1986. So it was sort of written for that. Okay. But, but the story behind the song was um, when I was sort of 17, 18, I met this English girl and kind of sort of fell in love for the first time. And, and she, she'd come out to Australia for just a few weeks. And, um, and anyway, so the, anyway, the relationship kind of fell apart and I was sort of heartbroken. And I didn't see her again for something like, um, well, I think 11 years. And I, I sort of was kind of, you know, kind of miffed about the, having my heart broken as you are when you're young and vulnerable. Um, but I, I, I organised to see her again, and it was actually, you know, it was really good. I, I, was, I was with my sort of girlfriend who, and I just wanted to make sure I was over this, this first girlfriend. So I met with her, and it was great, and uh, sort of got a lot of things sorted out, and it was really, really pleasant. And then she sort of said, "Oh, you should write a song about this," because she she knew about Mondo Rock, and she'd uh, she'd sort of when I'd started writing to her again a year or two before, and I'd mentioned I was in this band called Mondo Rock. And first thing she she had an Australian a surgical assistant, a nurse, and she said, oh, "Have you heard of an Australian band called Mondo Rock?" And this woman said, "That's my favourite band in the world," you know. And so, and uh, so she knew I was sort of playing in bands, and she said, "Oh, you should write a song about this," uh, you know, us meeting up again, and and that was the impetus of right writing no one comes close but weirdly enough and no one comes close i started writing that story but it turned out being a much sort of sadder story you know and and i've learned over the years that if a song is trying to go in a certain direction usually it's best to go where the song is telling you to go if you try and force it into the sort of particular thing i don't know why but it always seems to kind of weaken it it seems you know as much as you can know anything about these mysterious things so I just followed that and it ended up being a story of a guy kind of meeting up with a girl who's now kind of famous and they meet up, you know, he just bumps into her on like a railway station platform and uh, and he's still really cut up about it, you know, which is kind of the opposite of what had actually happened in this meeting, but that's where the drama seemed to be. You know, it's weird writing songs because they are like little short stories and why they may, they may have little bits of truth in them, they're usually invented you know come said the boy was an invention even though i used a few things here and a few things there from from my life and that's what it was with the with no one comes close and it took a long time to write you know i mean state of the heart i wrote in 20 minutes and <laughs> um once i got the idea um but the, the no one comes close sort of took over you know it took about six months in a way to get right and what I find often happens with the song, you'll get this burst, you'll get a, a brainstorm, a burst of creativity where you've got a lot of ideas and you can also see things very clearly. And it's like, okay, obviously it should go here in the second section. Obviously it should do this. And it, you have this clarity. And you typically maybe get half a song or two thirds of a song in one sort of session, in one you know, sort of couple hours burst. But then when you come back to it, um, often it takes ages for you then to complete, complete it because I'm always trying now to write as much as I possibly can when I'm in that first state of mind where it's all sort of rush of ideas. But for some reason, um, no one comes close. It's it's quite a complex song uh, in some ways. You know, when you actually boil down to 
the lyrics and the rhyming scheme and all of that sort of musical craft work stuff. It's, there's, there's a lot there in it. So, yeah, I wrote it kind of over the next six months. So um, let's see, it was, it was, no, it was 85 that I went back and saw Anne. And so by, and then I, the song was sort of written by, I guess, about a, a third of the, you know, in, into the first few months of 1986. And we, uh, I de we demoed it. I think by myself, I demoed it maybe just on a little Porter Studio four-track demo, which again I should I should look for that because I've kept all of that stuff too. Oh wow! And, yeah. and then then we demoed it with Mondo Rock. You know, we, we do demos, and I think we did two sort of sessions of about six songs each, or seven songs. Um, I did them at a studio I think called York Street, where I'd done the original demos for State of the Heart six years earlier. And we had an American producer came over. We went into pre-production in um, Factory Sound in South Melbourne. And we'd came come in with about 16 songs, but then we knew we were going to have to whittle it down to about 12 songs to do. So, you, you know, it takes a long time, a lot of effort to record a song. And, you know, you don't do more, many more than you end up with. And then we rehearsal one day. We were narrowing down and uh, no one comes close, got the flick. I can't even remember why, because I thought the song was, was good, but it didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the stuff on the American producer. Didn't mm -hmm. like it or something. So I walked out, walked out of that sort of session and rehearsing in the next studio was John Farnham. You know, the, at the time he sort of, you know, couldn't get arrested really. You know, he was kind of on the low, low point of his career, but they were sort of pre-producing for the album that turned out to be Whispering Jack. And John came out and I said, boy, have I got a song for you. Are you still looking for songs? Or he, he'd come up and said, you, you know, you got any songs? And I said, yeah, it was a matter of fact, there's one that just got the flick. So here's to rejection. A lot more copies of, uh, by being on Whispering Jack than it would Absolutely. have been um, being on uh, Boom Baby Boom, which I think sold for 40,000 copies or something like that, uh, as against uh, 3 million copies of Whispering Jack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was good. Um, funny thing was that I was around this time. I mean, we 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 recorded we recorded the Boom Baby Boom album. We went over. To, Ross and I went over to help mix it at the Village Recorder in um, Los Angeles, which is where um, Rumours was recorded. I think where Fleetwood Mac and where Steely Dan had recorded as well. And then came back and. Um, we film, made a film clip for the first single, which was called Rule of Threes. Then we did a film clip for Primitive Love Rights. And this, and I, that was on a, we were sort of filming that week and I was getting married on the weekend uh, to Jenny, who's still my wife. And so, and, and the, we had to film an extra day. So there was filming up to the, the Friday and I was getting married on the Saturday. And we're going away for our honeymoon in Italy on the Sunday. Uh, and it was just completely, you know, madness. And uh, I remember being in Venice with my wife. We're going, we should go on a gondola. And we looked at the gondola. It was like 130 bucks each or something. We went, oh, you know, uh, no, too expensive. And by the time I got back, freaking uh, Whispering Jack was by then number one, <laughs> and with including my song on it. And we could have afforded to go on the gondolas. <laughs> so, gondolas, we should anyway. Yes. <laughs> Eric, the um, the mystery person that's spoken about in the lyrics of No One Comes Close, you mentioned that she is a public figure and the song implies that as well, obviously. How famous was she? 
just out of curiosity. But she wasn't famous at all. That was a, that was the invention. That oh. the weird thing was again, you use bits and pieces. It was also a kind of a, a some a reverse of something that happened, where an ex girlfriend of mine had bumped into me after I'd become famous. Right. So it was me on the TV. Okay. And and I'd sort of switched the switched the roles in that, you know. Dame Annie is now somewhat famous, but in those days she wasn't. And so it was kind of telling the story of, which was interesting to me, you know, that I'd bumped into this old girlfriend of mine and by then, you know, she'd seen me on the telly and watched me on Countdown. And it was so, so it was took that situation as well and combined it with the, the other situation with Annie. And so, yeah, and this is, this is the way, this is the way fiction gets written and where songs get written, where you just grab a bit and, you, and, and it is such a strange, some people don't understand. When some people ask me if Come Said the Boy is true and I sort of said, well, not really. And they, they just, their face falls. It's like, they, they almost think it's like bogus that I made this shit up, you know. <laughs> but well, I reckon that makes it more difficult, you know, to do, that I actually come up with this stuff. But, you know, but you, you still have to have, for, for a song to be convincing, and to feel real, I mean, these songs aren't, the stories aren't necessarily real, real, but for them to feel real, you have to have kind of these bits of real stuff in them. I mean, and that sounds like it's a, an artificial thing, but this is what art, art is a lie that tells the truth. Absolutely you know? it is. And that's, and so, so yeah, you can't kind of look at the, the lyric of, of No One Comes Close and try and find anything literal in it, you know, but yet there is little bits of, true stuff in there there's a second person in the song as well eric uh the comforting friend that's spoken about in the lyrics as well yeah. that wasn't your wife was it <laughs> that's more or less yeah yeah okay. uh, sure. yeah even though it's it, i don't think she liked that role okay and uh, um you know Usually the line yeah the one on whom i can depend yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, but that's that actually you know it's, that doesn't sound romantic or anything but hell it's actually you, you know when you <laughs> in real life that stuff is important you know you know, and we're still together. We've had a couple of kids, and we're, we're still extremely fond of each other. And I still actually see Annie, Dame Annie, from time to time too. We still managed. I managed to be friends, and her and her husband come along. Yeah. My daughter and I stayed with them in London about ten years ago, and um, yeah, she's an amazing person. And I'm very pleased that I've able to kind of, you know, continue to be friends with her fifty years later. And uh, and she thinks this is all pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. That's it. Uh, Eric, some, a side note, Nigel and I actually had these two different angles when we spoke about the, uh, you know, what the meaning of no one comes close. Now, even in talking to you today and, and sort of like, you know, dissecting it quite um, intently as well, the no one comes close element is obviously, you know, you've got somebody who you've put on a pedestal and they're like, you know, like, oh, no one's come close to them, you know? But Nigel, do you want to, do you want to mention to Eric about uh, the other, the flip side as well? Yeah, yeah. In the same way that um, every step you take from Sting, uh, you know, so many people at face value can view that as a romantic type um, song. And I myself, so I'm a nurse by profession, but one of the things I used to do as a sideline was a marriage celebrant. And some people would ask for that to be their song that they go down the aisle to. You sort of go, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Have, you, have you actually read the lyrics to that song? Can you actually get past, you know, the, that This is a stalking, really. This is a stalking thing. And in the discussion that we were having, I did take the thing off. In reading the lyrics, I can sort of actually get a similar sort of thing in the narrative of No One Comes Close in the fact of um, it's a persistence and a, a pining for somebody or something where 
it can almost be an unhealthy level of not wanting to let go when that person has moved on. Now, I think that there is that there. But, I mean, the interesting thing, when I was talking to Annie about the song years, years later, and she sort of said there is the implication that the person who is the famous person and stuff also doesn't let anyone get close to them. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And she sort of said, did you mean that? And I went, well, yeah, I did actually. Um, you know, and, and she was she was kind of like that. I mean, look, and, and again, it's it, this is almost like this sort of started with Annie stuff, but then it's turned into its own story. And so it's not really about Annie and it's not really about, you know, my wife. And it's it's uses all of that stuff as an aspect. The, the great thing, when I sort of saw Annie again for the first time, I got to actually talk about all of this stuff and she was really, really nice and told me some things that, you know, where I'd sort of felt bad about things, you know. You know, she said, look, you know, I probably wasn't in love with you, but, you know, you made me feel really loved. And I said, you know, that's a great thing to hear, you know. You know, and, yeah. and but, but for a while before that, I had, before I'd seen her again and reconciled all of this stuff, there had been periods where I was really angry with her and I thought that she'd, that, that I'd kind of, you know, that she'd sort of, I don't know, demeaned me or something. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, and certainly broke my heart. So, but but so the story of the song where he is still angry. Where I don't know. I don't really. I never got the thing that he was sort of uh, stalking her. But but certainly he isn't isn't really over her. You know, hmm. in in this song. You know, and that you know there had been years where that was how I felt, and that was the stuff that needed obviously needed to be be said because um, that was where the story was, and that's. You know, whenever I tried to make the story nicer, all the power and the drama would disappear. So I just like, let it go, let, you know, say this stuff, you know, because this is the way God, you know, people do feel when, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I played this song and we did some Mondo rock shows about three years ago and where I played just more or less me singing and playing guitar and um, the other guys in the band singing harmonies sang uh, No One Comes Close. And one of our, our stage roadies sort of says, he says, every time you play that song, I start crying, you know, because it's exactly the kind of story of his life, you know. <laughs> and he still, there was a, still a, a girl in his life that he'd never really kind of got over, you know. And, it's, and it's, he's sitting there at the desk, like, tearing up about this song, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, there is, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a really good song. I have to say, I don't, you know, I'm really proud of the song and, and, I think the way the no one, no one comes close, no, you know, all of that, no one comes close to you, the way that the chorus kind of has this building thing where it keeps mm -hmm. saying, and it keeps no one, and uh, that structure is is really, really good, and I really like the chords of the song. It, it's funny, he, do you know he sings one of the lyrics wrong? Really? What's yeah. that? Which bit? It's uh, the second line. It's, it should be, uh, well, the first line, which I'm, I do like is you gave me your cool hand, Luke, warm reception. Yep. So it's got this cool hand, Luke, little mm -hmm. quote. Uh, it had been such a long time till there on the platform is what it should be. Oh, he said still. still there on the platform. Yeah. But it's actually was originally was was till there on the platform. And then when I heard the record, I'm going, well, it doesn't still matter. There. Yeah, so he's just still there on the platform, and but it's actually it's been such a long time until there on the platform is really what yeah. it, but the actual the, the official yeah. lyrics actually say still as well, so yeah. they changed it then. Yeah, 
I, I don't think they realised they did because I'm not sure that I even sent a lyric sheet when I sent the demo. Right. I think I just gave them the demo and I think they just misheard it and did oh. that. Yeah, tra transcribing from that, yeah, that that can be dangerous sometimes, yeah, I imagine. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I always thought, you know, slightly, uh, the way I always sing it is you sing, you gave me your cool hand, lukewarm reception. And he goes, cool hand, lukewarm reception. And that sort of kind of kills off the cool hand Luke a yeah, little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he sings it great. And it's mainly David Hirschfelder playing. Uh, I think it's all programmed apart from the, the guitars and the backing vocals. The album version is is good, but I tell you what, he's he's continued playing that song ever since. On in, in any big show he does, I mean, sometimes if he does kind of you know reduce shows, you know, for the bushfires and stuff, he hasn't done it. But almost every other show, he's and I've seen him. We've done shows with him a few times, and the way they do it live in the last sort of five years, I mean, he's, I don't know, he's kind of grown or something into that song. They love, he just loves singing. He always gives me credit for it. And it's just, it's stunning. It's the stunning. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a single and it wasn't, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, on the original album there was no writing credits. Yep. It's the only album I've ever seen, you know, really. Mm. I mean, I think maybe on the label copy of the vinyl, but like on the CD there was no writing credits. I mean, my name's on it because it's it says permission to use reprint the lyrics, and, and my publishing company was called Eric McCusker Music, but no mm -hmm. one doesn't say who wrote which songs. I don't know if that was I don't know why that was the case, but um, he's made up for it ever since by always you know giving assiduously giving me credit. You know. Eric, can you recall the first time you heard uh, John's recording of "No One Comes Close" and what your impressions were of uh, that actual recording? And the first thing I would is he's got the lyric wrong. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> um, I actually can't recall. I, I, remember, I remember thinking that, but then going, it doesn't matter. It's still, you know, still there on the platform, still there on the platform. <laughs> it's, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, on the demo, I remember recording two guitar solos and then I left them both in so that these two guitar solos kind of interweave. And I think that's more or less what uh, Brett Garset did. If you listen to it, it almost like this, how come there's two guitar solos going on at the same time? But, you know, that had been um, on the demo. Most of the, most of what's there on their version, most of the parts uh, on the, the Mondo Rock demo, I don't think they had much money to make the record. You know, I think, that, like I said, it was a difficult time for them. So I think it's just Hirschfeld that put that all together and they probably came in and they put the guitar on and thought, let's leave it, you know. Hmm. But, um, yeah, it's a really, really weird guitar, um, really weird bass line. And that's one of the things I like best about it. What key do I do? Okay. Gave me your cool hand, lukewarm reception. Been such a long time till they're on the platform. What can an old friend do? 
Except talk about just what's new All the things that have happened since you went away No one No one comes close Someone maybe will come my way But until that day No one comes close to you I see you in all those Videos and movies You talking on the talk shows While I stare at the TVs What can an old friend say when I know you don't feel this way That's why I'm taking this chance today To let you know That no one No one comes close Someone maybe will come my way But until that day No applause that does <laughs> absolutely thank you very much for oh, that, that eric live performance live on the show can't believe it yeah eric can i pick up with have you ever performed this live with john himself i never have no even we've been on a couple of shows um together but no he sometimes he's gotten ross up to sing um uh, yeah, uh touch of paradise touch of paradise but no i've never got up and sung with with john which is a damn shame actually i've watched it from side of stage a couple of times that sort of big day on the green shows yeah done a few with a few with him um one man one in king's park um i think he is you know like his version i saw like about four years ago it was just phenomenal i sort of two, did two shows with him and I don't know. I was playing with Mondo Rock or playing in Ross Wilson's band, mm -hmm. the Yeah, watching it from side of stage. Wow, incredible. Has the significance of the song grown for you over the years? And what does the song mean to you? Well, this building I'm in is, which is, I mean, I live in a long sort of Victorian terrace in um, North Carlton. And uh, we built this building in 1988 with the money that I made from no one comes close so this is the house that jack built you know that's just funny. you weren't looking for an answer a financial answer but uh, all right and, and it's funny because nobody knows i wrote this song really i mean it, it, you know i i have to tell people you know i had a song on whispering jack oh yeah which one no one comes close oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i have a friend of mine from high school that says you wrote the best song on the on the biggest selling album, so and okay, okay, thanks. <laughs> you know, on, on a side note, Eric, it's actually my, my dad's favorite John Farnham song, and I was like, okay. yeah, "There you go, good man." <laughs> Say hi to him. I will. 
we'll pass that on. Um. Um, and, you know, it's funny because, like I said, you know, this guy's got a pretty cut when the song got kind of rejected from Mondo Rock. And I thought, oh, you know. yeah. I thought because I thought it was like a good piece of work. And it's a very, very grown up song. You know, it's not a trivial song. It's about it's about heartbreak and it's about pain. Um, but it's still kind of, you know, it's a beautiful song, I think. And um, it's sort of the power, the emotional power. I mean, like I said, you know, being side of stage, um, watching them do it is like, oh, you know. You may mention before about the fact that obviously it wasn't a single. Uh, do you think that it could have worked as one? I don't know. Hmm. Um, it's maybe too deep for a single. I don't know. Um, yeah. There are, there are, look, there is, that's a, maybe a strange thing to say because there are some deep songs that become very big hits but you know it is it's it maybe that slight slight edge you you were sort of talking about you know how it's got a slight a dark it's a darkness to it you know that the, the fact that the guy hasn't kind of really gotten over it you know maybe that is yeah makes it a little less accessible would have been good if it was a single because the thing is you don't i don't it doesn't make me much money anymore <laughs> not until the next re-release maybe I wish they would because uh, it's the biggest selling album in Australia, barring one, and that's I believe "Bat Out of Hell." Yeah, Meatloaf. Yeah, Meatloaf and um, Whispering Jack. I mean, like, so it, Whispering Jack sold more in Australia than "Back in Black," than you know anything by the Beatles, anything by Michael Jackson. It's freaking ridiculous. It's phenomenal, yeah. And it's like 24, 25 times platinum now. And I think it must be edging up close to catching up with um, Bat Out of Hell. So that would be pretty amazing. It, it, yeah. That would then be the biggest selling album in Australian history, you know, mm. yeah. uh, in Australia, sales in Australia. I mean, it sold another 1.2 million, I think, the rest around the rest of the world. So I think it ended up selling something like 3 million copies. But, do you have your, mm. your own personal copy of it, Eric? I do, yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, do you, do you have any of other John's albums, just out of curiosity, or? Well, I had a co-write on um, one of the songs on Age of Reason, called, a song called See the Banners Fall. That was on Chain Reaction. Oh, Chain yeah. Reaction, okay, yeah. Um, I, I wrote a song with John Farnham, and we tried writing together, and that song ended up not, We did. he didn't use it. But then that album came out, and, and, and See the Banners Fall, and I was like, uh, that's got the same melody as oh, okay. our song. And I went to them and said, look, this is a, you know, and they said, oh, sh sorry, you didn't even realise. But he And they gave me a, they were completely decent about it. They just hadn't actually realised that it was the same melody as the song. can't remember the name of the song. Hard Day's Road, I think it was called. Okay. And um, so I ended up, have, because I'd written the melody of that thing, of the verse was the same. Oh. So I ended up with a, ch a chunk of that. And then he recorded um, Comes with the Boy on the, oh, yeah. the that Aussie one. Great, great Australian songbook. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I believe he's recorded State of the Heart at some stage, but it hasn't come out. On the actual um, composition of the song, No One Comes Close, the bass line that you played live just before Bye -bye. as well. Bye -bye. The bass line. Right on John's version with the program baseline. I assume you're you're familiar with the Seinfeld bass sound, you know, from the Seinfeld TV show, yeah. like the. Uh... That bass sound. PPG. Yeah, it's a, a German sampling synthesizer called a PPG Wave. Didn't know that actually. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is because our keyboard player, the album we just, I was talking about that, that this song got rejected from, he he just got uh, PPG, it was a German synth. Amazing. It was all a rage. And, uh, you know, it, it, Very it's Very Because, uh, yeah, and then it's got the big um, gated reverb on the drums and it's it's that... I mean, it's funny because I, I sort of thought the sound of recordings from 75 to 85 was really beautiful and in a way reached a peak that still sort of hasn't been reached again. Um, Eric, just as we start to bring this interview to a close, I've got one final question for you, and that is, what do you wish for your legacy to be in the years to come? The thrill to me, I mean, there's a whole sort of industry and it's amazing, you know, when you sometimes do the play on these big shows, you think, wow, somebody built this whole thing, you know, just for me to sing my songs to people. And to me, the kind of the, 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 the main transaction is sort of between the songwriter and the listener, you know, and everything else is, you know, there's a thousand things can get in the way of that, but it doesn't get in the way. And so when I just talk to somebody and, um, and they tell me, you know, and people have told me that, you know, sometimes the state of the heart saved their life, you know, mm. um, you know, thinking about suicide and that song got them through the night and, you know, that sort of thing. It's amazing. I mean, it's, people talk to me all the time about Come Said the Boy and, and things that happened and sort of some are tragic and some are funny. And, um, mm. But that that kind of connection where, you you know, you've, you've kind of come up with this thing in your head, this little world, this little three-minute world, and you knowing that it gets... To, through to somebody the way the songs got through to me. I mean, I was very ill when I was nine and a song called um, Our Day Will Come sort of saved me. And I had encephalitis and um, was in hospital. And this is when I was nine and in hospital for three weeks and, and very nearly died. But that song was like this beacon that kind of, you know, really it got through to me. So these, these, I mean, pop songs, you know, it's such a kind of a little form and sometimes it feels like a trivial form, but um, my experience of it as a fan or as a, as a listener, you know, it's a very, very profound thing. I mean, you know, I think, you know, Strawberry Fields Forever and something like that. It's like, you know, absolutely amazing things that blew my mind and things, songs can give you this incredible solace, you know, sometimes when you're over, overpowered by grief, the only thing that can get you through is music, it seems. So this is not trivial stuff. And so that's what I just hope that people still listening to the stuff and kind of getting it and hearing the story and, and, and that that's enough for me, you know. I mean, I've been very lucky that I've made enough money out of this, the songwriting that I've been able to do this. That's all I have, you know, this is what I've been able to do my whole adult life is to be a songwriter and a guitar player. And that's not easily done, you know. A lot of people aspire to that and so I've... You know, that's that's great. And I still love it, you know. That's the other thing. I, mean, I still love guitars and I still love writing songs and wrestling with lyrics and, uh, you know, and when you get it right, it's just thrilling and fabulous. So uh, it's I've managed to it's build a decent life and out of that, out of these funny little songs, you know. And, you know, so, such an f- interesting kind of postscript in a way to the Mondo Rock career was having this song and then John cover the song and then this 
album become so big. I mean, it was one in, I mean, so 1.8 million copies in Australia at a time when there was 18 million, so that yeah. every 10th person, which means every sort of second or third household had this record. I mean, mm. you obviously, you're doing this thing, you know how influential it was, you know, to the, to us, you know, almost like to a crazy deg degree, you know, he'd go and do 15, 20, 30 shows at, a, at the entertainment centre. And mm. it was just an impossibly sort of huge thing. And that was very pleased to be part of that. Absolutely. Eric, um, I just want to just, on a personal note, mate, just as we wrap up here, I just want to thank you. I've been listening to Whispering Jack since I was six. <laughs> um, and um, so, yeah, just to be able to speak to the writer of this this song that was an introduction to my, uh, to pop music for me as mm -hmm. well. So No worries. Yeah. From me, thank you very much for your time, Eric. I know that it uh, took a bit for us to get here today, but I uh, <laughs> really appreciate uh, you giving us that amount of time. Uh, no so thank, thank you very much. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Okay. Stay well. Take care. Bye now. Nigel, in regards to the live versions of No One Comes Close, we've sort of got two separate eras that we've sort of been limited to here uh obviously the song was performed as part of the um the whispering jack and jack's back to us and then it was performed as well at the expo concert which you briefly touched upon before yeah that's um, right but after that it disappeared for 20 years and it returned when john came back to perform the album in its entirety for the whispering jack 25 years on tour like John said, he rediscovered it and it was essentially part of the majority of his live shows throughout the 2010s, all the way up until 2018, 2019 shows, Nigel. So it's had two lifetimes. Yeah. And yeah. I think um, something that's interesting in that then, if you look at the beginning, 86, when the album came out, 87, yep. Yep. right through to 88 mm -hmm. as well. And so those couple of years... They were the David Hirschfelder years. Yeah. Um, to then be picked up for the 2011, the 25th anniversary of Whispering Jack, which was under the baton of Chong Lim. Chong Lim. Well, when we discuss that list, that's the first one. He goes, yep, I'm doing that. And the other song, Love to Shine. These yep. two, he really wants to do them. He loves them. Mm. Yep. He, he comes off the stage and says, oh, God, Chong Lim, I love that song. You, you know, I yeah. love singing those songs. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, we had a plethora of songs to choose from and he picked those two. So, yeah, that was Chong. And what I also want to add to extend that conversation is that No One Comes Close was also featured in um, the Two Strong Hearts tour that John did yeah. with Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, great version. And the thing that I find interesting with this version is it actually features uh, the MSO, Melbourne Symphony. Which is so great to hear because we'd never heard it like that before. Um, I know... I'm based in Adelaide and there's an Adelaide Symphony Orchestra. But that got me thinking to whether every state or territory has their own symphony orchestra. And actually, I don't know if we do, but uh, I'll have to look into that and actually work out whether, you know, the Northern Territory's got one and Tasmania as well. Um, did the Two Strong Hearts get to South Australia? I can't remember. Yeah, did it, yeah, yeah. It did? Yeah, yep. okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, a lot of John's concerts, they elect to actually start the tour here in Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So let's have a listen to a snippet of the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra as part of the Two Strong Hearts tour. <laughs>
there you go. And um, whilst we're there, let's pick up on some comments that are made also by a couple of our other guests, uh, they being Lindsay Field and Angus Birchall. Great song. We had a fabulous time singing this because it just had a great pocket, particularly when it when we became a little looser uh, from the program. Years later, I can remember when Craig Newman joined the band, and Craig and I have been we'd played together for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I played together with him before I joined Farnham's band. We had a band called WJAZ that played at the Limerick Arms with Linda George and Penny Dyer, Craig's wife, and Rosie Pizzani before that. It's just three singers. So it was fantastic. Great band. Alex Patu. And we talked about that bass line where it goes, do 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 So it has these slides in it that you don't really get from machines. And so it took on a, you know, we, to this day, we still love playing that song because it's got such a great feel. And the vocal group on the choruses, it's just ballsy. You know, it's a real gospel sort of thing. It was the closest thing to a gospel song on that album. Everybody was at their strongest. That's a beautiful song, isn't it? It's like a, a, a love story gone wrong. You know, it's a very sad kind of, the lyrics, you know, it's the edge is is he stalking her or is he watching her from afar? It's, like, it's, it's got a slight, slightly bent twist to it. That's a beautiful song, you know. It's, a, it's always great fun to play. I love yeah, that love you it. say that about those lyrics because uh, we had a discussion and it was yeah. actually talking exactly about that, the fact of yeah. there is an yeah. element of this that it's almost a little bit stalkish. There is a darker side to this song and I think it's one of the hidden gems uh, for that reason, uh, amongst uh, what is yeah. already an amazing album. Oh, he's a great songwriter, and I've you know worked with him a lot and spoken to him over the years, and yeah. and yeah, there's a definitely there's um he did tell me a little bit about the song, and he you know there's a story there, and it's it's tremendous, and you know it's one of those you know when you have so many so many songs to choose from, some some of them slip through the through the cracks or. Mm. You know, but that was that was, that one was just sitting on the bench for a few years, waiting to come back on and play. Well, that's pretty much it, Nige. We're pretty much on the home stretch now. But uh, one thing that was very evident from not just listening to uh, you know the writer Eric, of course, but also most of our guests as well, was the fact that this is very much a very popular song in John's repertoire. Did you get that impression yeah. as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fact that it came back again for, the, you know, 2011 onwards just shows that it's a, a song they really enjoy and um, it holds a deserving place when they perform live. Yeah, and I, I love that statement as well about just the fact that John admitted to Chong, you know, I don't know why we took this out. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a great credit to it, definitely. So, mm-hmm. uh yeah. Um, was there anything else that needed to be mentioned? Um, yeah, look, um, usually we would mention this stuff at the top of the episode, but incidentally, No One Comes Close is actually a B-side to an international release. There's a UK maxi single of A Touch of Paradise. Okay, yep. So it's got A Touch of Paradise on one side, and then it's got two songs on the other side, and No One Comes Close is one of those. So yeah. what's really funny with this, um, just as we're bringing this to a close, is... The credits on this maxi single are very wrong. 
Really? So, yeah, yeah. We've got John Farnham on vocals and piano, Dave, <laughs> David Hirschfelder on keyboards, Brett Garset on guitar, yep. Greg McCainch on bass, Ooh. Angus Birchall on percussion, Donna McConville on vocals. What? And Michelle Argue on vocals. So that so sounds like a live version? Um, like, so, or yeah. Something, or? Um, those credits are actually taken from the... 1986 New Year's Eve concert that uh, they did a performance in Shepparton. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. And yeah. And then um, there's songs that are featured on Anthology 2 and Anthology 3. So yep. um, as much as they did get them wrong for this um, maxi single release, uh, that's where they've got them from, obviously. Yep. Hmm. Just got these, yeah, more misinformed people in the UK. That's all. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> At least we got the maxi single, and that's the important thing. Indeed. Anyway, mate, as we um, round out this episode, and oh, actually, before we do that, I think we should do some socials. Oh, yes, the formalities has got to be done. Yeah, so you can find us on our Facebook group, also YouTube, Instagram, and X. So, yeah, so as we round this episode out, um, of course, we're going to finish with our live recording of the song. Which comes from the Melbourne Sports and Entertainment Centre in March 1987. That's the one. Yep. So, yeah, thanks very much for your time, Adam. It's been no a No worries one. at all, mate. Always a pleasure. Look forward to catching up with you next episode. Indeed. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Bye. See you around. He's the voice, guys. I know you don't